Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing and, and your love for us. We ask you to be with us as we listen now to your word and, and learn from this. In your son's name, amen. In uh, the song we just sang, Now I Belong to Jesus, the first verse said, Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life a ransom to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Yeah. This is very powerful as we look at this. Uh, when we become his child, we're his. And we cannot be severed. And we're going to talk about a topic today that is a little hard to talk about and people don't like to talk about. That uh, We're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 19 even though we talked about it last week. And then 20 is the main verse I want to be talking about today. Holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, had made shipwreck, of whom was Himaeus and Alexander, who I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. So I'm going to just take a look at this. And this is a topic that is hard sometimes to understand. We're going to talk a little bit about apostasy. Now, for those of you who don't know what apostasy is, it means it is the abandonment of, the, of what you believe usually referring to your Christian faith, okay? And there will be people who will say, see, that just proves that people can lose their salvation. And I'm going to say, no, they never had it in the first place, okay? Um, and this is something that's very important for us to understand. Why are we a Christian, and how do we know we're a Christian? We're in a relationship with Jesus. I have met people who look like they're Christians. They do a really good job. They stay that way for a decade, decade and a half. And then they'll go, well... I'm never believed. You know, and it's really sad if they get that way because God says you're his. Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says the, front, the, the, the master of the field planted wheat and the, and the servants came in and said, didn't you plant good wheat? And the, what are all these wild tares out there? Shall we go rip them up? And he goes, no. Let them stay and at harvest time, we'll, when it's very obvious which one's which, and we're ready to take the seed, you know, the plants out anyway, we'll take out the tares and we'll harvest the wheat. What does that mean to us in our churches? We're going to have a lot of people in our churches that pretend to be Christians. We're going to have a lot of people we think are Christians that aren't Christians, and only God can tell the difference. You know, we may not know. We may look at somebody and, know, and say, well, that person really looks strong. They, they're following God with all their heart. And then we find out later on the road that they're shipwrecked. We look at somebody like these two men that Paul's talking about in Second um, Timothy 2, 17 and 18. He talks about Hermaeus, and he says he's a canker in the church. And you know what a canker is? That's a sore that bleeds and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. He says this man is destroying the church with his false doctrine. And what does he say he was teaching? He, said he was teaching people that the resurrection had already passed. Y'all are too late. God's come and gone. And Paul says his message is destroying the faith of so many people. We need to be conscious of what is the doctrines that we're learning and hearing from people. Because if the tares are there, they're going to be giving you things that are not scriptural. And we need to be very careful. Who do we listen to? He said of Alexander that he... Um, opposed Paul to the face, and Paul had to send him out of the church because he was always contradicting. 
you know, and these, both of these guys show us one very important fact about the tares and those that are not Christians. They will not be submitted, number one, to God, number two, to the word of God, and they won't be submitted to a pastor of a church so they can learn. And we all need somebody we're learning from. You know, and I'll share with you guys, I listen all the time to different pastors on the radio so that I can learn from them. Because I need to be submitted to somebody, and I need to listen to other people so that I don't get stuck in what I know. And that's where we're all at. And many times you'll get somebody going, well, I really want to serve God, but you know, I want to do it on my own. I'm going to tell you right now, God has no Lone Ranger Christians. If they're not submitted, something's going to go wrong. And unfortunately, many pastors can get this way too. They get where they don't submit themselves. They don't listen to other teachers. They don't fellowship with other people. And they become a lone ranger trying to lead their church. And it becomes very difficult. And they'll make mistakes. And they'll lead their church down the wrong thing if their church aren't good Bereans. And remember, I've told you, be good Bereans. Because who are the Bereans? Paul said, thank you for going in and studying the scripture and checking out what I say. And I'm going to tell you, I want you all to check out the scriptures. If I say something, look at the scriptures. Go find out if it's true. Because if you don't, you could be led down the wrong path pretty easy. Be good Bereans. Look at the scriptures. Study the scriptures. Know what they say. If I say something that doesn't match scripture, come to me and tell me. Uh, and I'll look it up and make sure. Because I don't want to teach wrong, wrong either because God says that the pastors are double accountable for what they, what they teach. And all teachers are doubly accountable for what they teach. Why? Because we affect lives. We affect lives. And he said, these men, mark them. Mark them. And this is something very important. How easy is it to get into apostasy? If you're not submitted and being taught, it's real easy. And believe me, Maybe you've even heard it. You've heard somebody go, well, I read this in the Bible, and I think God is telling me to do this. And, I'm, and I've looked at some of those people over the years and gone, but that's contrary to what the Bible says. You can't just lift a verse out of Scripture and say, this is what God says. Because sometimes you're totally wrong. You know, there's, a, there's an old joke that talks about this guy opening his Bible. He doesn't know how to study the Bible, so he opens up his Bible, and it says, Judas went and hung himself. And he goes, well, that can't be my word for today. So he opens up the Bible and he goes, and he goes go and do likewise. <laughs> and he goes, well, no, that can't be what it is. Then he opens up the Bible again, puts his finger down, and he goes, do it. whatever you do, do quickly. <laughs> okay, we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say by taking things out of context. And that's an old joke, and it's a very old, but you know how many Christians do that as their study? Just open up my Bible, and wherever my eyes fall, that is my word for today. And you know what? That can work, but it's a very dangerous way to study your Bible. It's a very dangerous way to try to understand God. And, you know, it's been said that if you really want to pick something out of the Bible and you're going to look at a verse, go read the 20 verses ahead of it, 20 verses after it. Know what it says in context. And then make sure it fits all of the Bible in its whole. Because, you know, the Bible has a very important lesson in it that we're learning. Every part of it is about Jesus. You know, what about the Old Testament? Every part of the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's an amazing book that talks about Jesus is in the very beginning verse. And it says that the Spirit moved upon the face of the earth and, and the waters were flowing. And then it says, God said, let us make man in our image. And that us is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit talking together and saying, we're going to create men. You've got him right from the very beginning. You've got Jesus being called the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God and the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit were all right there working together right from the very beginning. We see the sacrificed lamb so that God could make skins to cover Adam and Eve, showing the sacrifice that had to be made 6,000 years in advance of that. God's word shows Jesus all through it. Jesus comes to Abraham when he's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, talks to him. How do we know it's Jesus? Because he offers a sacrifice and, and it's accepted by what it calls the angel of the Lord. But whenever they sacrificed or bowed down to, to an angel, they said, get up, I'm a servant. All through scripture you see that. Jesus is all through the scripture. We did the class in Leviticus and we talked about the tabernacle being built and we showed all, all the tabernacles, this beautiful picture of Jesus and the sacrifice that he makes. And we go, Jesus, all through the scriptures. God's grace, all through the scriptures. How do we live? We live by his grace. You know, and you know, we've talked about this. God created man knowing that man was going to sin. Yeah. And I don't know why he did, but he just did. <laughs> He created man knowing they were going to sin. It was not a surprise to him that Adam and Eve sinned. He already had the plan in place. Jesus was already committed to being the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he says, okay, man's going to sin. Jesus, you're going to die. What love does he have for us? He created us knowing we were going to make this mistake. I don't know what God gets out of this deal. I was listening to, to a preacher last night. He goes, I finally just looked at it and he goes, I had to make this deal. God gave me a deal of eternal life and forgiveness and all I had to, and, and he got me in exchange. He goes, it was a deal I couldn't resist. You know, and it is an amazing thing. God gets us <laughs> in this deal, you know, gets us, and he gives us heaven. He gives us the riches of heaven. He makes us part of his family, and he gets us. Now, for some of us, that means a bigger deal than others, but you know, he loves us so much that he gets us and he considers it a good deal. Now, I don't think he got a great deal. I got a great deal out of that, that agreement. I don't think he got a great deal out of that, that agreement. But he loves us, died for us, so that we could follow him. And these gentlemen that Paul's talking about, he says, I've told them, told the church to get, get them out of the church because they're destroying people's faith. Now, we can put up with a lot of sin in the church because we all sin. But you know, and I've said this myself, if there's somebody in here saying, I want you to promote my sin and I want others to participate in my sin, I'm going to go tell them to get out of this church. Plain and simple. They're not going to come in and, and try to get their lifestyle promoted. Now, if they're living in sin, I have no problem with that because I have sin myself. You all have sin. We all have sin. And we want people in this church that are sinners. Otherwise, the church would be empty on Sunday morning, including the pastor. Okay, if we didn't have sinners in this church, we would be in trouble because it would be an empty building. Now, I want saved sinners eventually. <laughs> I want people who are being sanctified. But you know, God says, I want, I've died for you sinners so that you can be clothed in Christ. And in John chapter 2, verse 19, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, they went out from him because they were not of us. Or they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have had no doubt been, have continued with us, but they went out for they might be made manifest for what that they were not with us. But you have the unction of the Holy, Holy One and you have know all things. When somebody leaves the church, they leaves Christianity, it's because they never were part of Christian walk. 
They'll go, well, God, I said, I said the sinner's prayer. I said, God, I'm a sinner. I, I deserve punishment. Come into my life and, and, and fill me. You know, and that's a great prayer, and it's the right words and the right attitude. But did they mean it? Did they really mean it? What changes in your life the day you say that prayer or something like that prayer? Your whole life should change. In 2 in Corinthians, we're told that we become a new creation. God changes who we are. He indwells us, and we become a different person. When somebody turns apostate, walks away from it, it was because they never knew God. And they need to be able to come back to God and say, God, I want to know you. I need to know you. And then once you become one of his children, you end up in submission. Number one to God, most importantly to God. Then number two to the word of God, the complete word of God. Don't just pick out whatever your favorite verses are in there, but the complete word of God, which is why I go line upon line, book, book by book, chapter by chapter. I want to get through everything, which means we're talking about a topic that's hard to talk about today. But you know, God wants us to be submitted to him, submitted to, to the word, and then submitted to a pastor, whatever pastor it is. You know, and that means, does that mean the pastor knows all the answers and is always right? Oh, nope, they're human. But we get submitted to them and say, God, I'm going to learn from this person. I'm going to learn from this person. One of the things I learned many years ago is I'm going to learn from whoever is preaching at, a, at the church that I'm going to. Okay. And this is very important because that's part of submission. And remember, we've talked about this. Submission has this really bad, you know, word taste in our day and age. People think, well, it's terrible. But you know, it says that Jesus was submitted to Mary and Joseph when he left the temple. He was 12 years old. He stayed behind at the temple. If you remember the story, the family went to Jerusalem to worship for the Passover. They thought Jesus was in the caravan. They traveled out two days' journey, and they found out that Jesus wasn't there. Now, how would you like to be the mother, mother of the Son of God and have lost him? <laughs> okay, not enough just losing your child. So they have to go back two days to find Jesus, and he's in the temple talking to the, to the teachers. And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house doing his business? But then the next verse says, he went back with Mary and Joseph and was submitted to them. Was he submitted because they were smarter than he was? Absolutely not. Was he submitted because they were you know, better than he was? Absolutely not. He's the son of God. He was perfect. He knew all things. He went back because the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And they said, come back. And he was submitted to them. Not because, and submission has nothing to do with better or worse. We've got to keep this in mind. Many things in the Bible make no sense to us other than God said to do it. Okay. And then we just say, God, I'm going to be submitted to you. Doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense to me. How many times has God done something in your life that made no sense whatsoever? I want you to go do this. I want you to, whatever it might be, you're reading your Bible, and he says, I want, and he teaches you, I want you to go tithe money. You know, give 10% of your money to God. God, I can't live on the amount of money I have already. Why would, you, why would I give up 10% of it? God says, I want you to share the gospel with other people. Well, God, I don't even like people. I don't like talking to people. Why should I share with, people, share with them? Well, you know, and God says, well, I don't want them to go to hell. Go talk to them. How many things has God asked you to do that make no sense to you? How about this one? Christians were told to love our enemies. <laughs> do good to those who despitefully use you. <laughs> doesn't that sound really good? That sounds really logical, doesn't it? This person wants to hurt me, God, and you say, be nice to them? 
God, I want to see them run over by a truck and then a train and then hung and then burned, burned at the stake and you know, do each one of those, God. I don't want to love them. Because that's what our flesh says, don't love them. Make them pay. And God says, love them. Show them my love. Do we truly understand who God is? I sometimes wonder about this, you know, God loves us. He has grace for us. He wants to give us blessing. How many times have you in your life, or, or you know somebody definitely who just says, well, I just don't want to ask God for anything because I think I can do it all on my own, and I don't, you know, I just don't know that God wants to bless me. Or, as I call, there's a lot of people who think God's up there playing whack-a-mole. He's got a great big hammer, and the moment you show your head up a little bit to do something, he hits you over the head with it. Now, uh, and there's a lot of people that believe that. There's a lot of Christians who believe that. You know, that's not God. God is there ready to say, I love you. It says that when we fall, his arms are underneath us to catch us so that we don't fall. If you're his child, he loves you so much that he's not going to let things that are going to be harmful to you in the long run. And you go, well, well, Pastor, what about all the bad things that are happening in my life? You know what? I don't know. A lot of bad things happen in my life. You know, we get this idea that, you know, we get, a, you know, and I've heard it so many times, I get ahead a little bit and then I go backwards. I get ahead a little bit and I go backwards. Well, maybe God's trying to teach us something. Maybe he's trying to teach us some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Don't trust in what you're trying to build up. Where is our trust? What are we looking to do? Are we focused on him and saying, God, I want what you want? And we share this. You know, Paul, used, Paul said that, you know, I am grateful in all things, and I thank God for the light tr trials and afflictions that he's going through. And we talked about Paul's light trials and afflictions. Everywhere he goes, he gets ridden out of town on a rail. He gets beat. He gets stoned. He gets shipwrecked. You know, and we look at that and go, God, Paul, those were light <laughs> Paul, what would you consider a heavy tribulation? And he's going, why could he call those things light? He goes, I'm looking to heaven. I'm looking to heaven. I'm looking at the reward that follows. Uh, is our thoughts and problems and, uh, toward this world, are we looking to heaven and saying, there's a glory to come? There's a great thing to come? When I go through trials and tribulations, and, I, and you know that I normally will say, when it seems like you're going through hard times, why? Because I truly believe God is in charge. And he says, all things work together for good. So even when bad things seem to be happening to us, God says, I've got a plan. I have a plan. Others may just be, it may be that others are looking at us and saying, wow, you didn't fall apart when all this stuff happened. How could you not fall apart? Well, because I've got God. I've got God in my life and he's helping me. And there's a future, a future home. Imagine what it'll be like to be in heaven 20 trillion years from now <laughs> and have to think back to the, how bad world, this world was. Yeah. You're not even going to remember this world after that long. It's going to be, yeah, I kind of remember there were some hard times way back, way back when, but look at all the blessing God has given me. Look at the blessing God has given me. So when we go through things that seem like they're hard, that would break the individual, we just trust God and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're going to give me. Thank you for the blessings that you're giving me. I will agree with Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. My life, I've never been forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. 
It may look like they have for a period of time. It may look like things are going wrong. But God is still there. He provides. You know, he gives them the food for their table. Maybe not, maybe not enough food as we Americans are used to. You know, we Americans love our three meals a day, and they have to be big meals. They can't be small meals. You go around the rest of the world, and most of the world doesn't eat anything near what Americans eat, which is why we have as many obese people as we have. But, you know, God says he's promised enough to keep us alive. You know, keep us alive. You know, we have our food pantry, and you go to give somebody beans and rice, and they go, well, I don't want that stuff. And my, my thought in that when somebody tells me that is, you're not very hungry then. You're not very hungry if you're going to turn your nose up at something that's going to sustain you and live. You want an American diet, which may not be what God's saying. He, God's promised to give you your needs. And we need to be very careful about how do we look at God? What are we expecting from God? God never promised us that everything was going to be good even. Jesus said that they hated me, they will hate you. And yet most Christians will go, oh man, everybody's so mean to me, they mistreated me, and, and they're making fun of me because I'm a Christian and I won't do all these things. And it says, and that surprises you. Why? Yeah. It surprises you that the world does not like you? When Jesus told you that's exactly what was going to happen? And yet we have apostate preachers on the radio and the TV going, come to Jesus and everything is going to be good. You know, be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Come to Jesus. Now, even worse, they'll say, give God $1,000 that you don't have so that God will give you back more money. Be very careful of apostates out there and what they're teaching. God does promise us blessing. He doesn't promise us that we give him 1000 he'll give us 10000 He doesn't promise that we give him, give him and he'll give back, but he does say he'll take care of us and he'll meet our needs and he'll reward us in heaven. And when we do give, he gives, that money goes out and ministers to people, and then they get saved, and we get part of the reward of their getting saved. And we've talked about this. Our church is on the Internet. Talking to 5,000, 8,000 people a month. Now, I get the privilege of being the one talking to them. You all have the privilege of helping put it out there by, with your offerings. What kind of blessings are we going to get when we get to heaven? I don't know. Nobody ever, call, nobody ever sent an email telling us what they do with it. God knows what's going on. And we get to heaven, God says, well, this person's life was touched. This person's life was touched. And here's your reward for your part on it. I am looking forward to going to heaven and seeing what kind of rewards are out there that we know nothing about. That we know nothing about. But the step one to prevent apostasy, submit yourself to God completely. To God as he is, not who we think he is. Because many people have two pictures of God. The one was, like I said, he's playing whack-a-mole. He wants to punish us for everything. The other extreme is that he's the sugar daddy, just ready to hand out everything to you. You know, here, you want, you want, you want, you want. Neither one of those is who God is. He is going to meet our needs. He is going to supply our, everything we need, and he's going to keep us. And, you know, I love having God in my heart and being able to have joy. Not happy all the time, but there's a joy, that internal joy that says, God, you're in control. I can trust you. I know that you're going to lead me. I may not like where he's leading me all the time. He can lead us through the shadow of the valley of death. That's not a great place to be. He can put us through trials and tribulations and says, okay, here is your test. And remember that when, this is my favorite line at the prison when the guys go, can you, are you going to give me the answers? I go, no, it's not my test. I've already passed the tests. 
This test is not to know, see what I know, it's to see what you know. When we go through tests from God, it may sound like he's being very silent to us because it is a test to see what we have learned. God, you've taught me. Okay, God, you're putting me in this test. Oh, man, God, this person is really hard to love. You're try you've been teaching me to love, and you put this really hard to love person in my life. And all of a sudden, you seem like you can't hear God <laughs> telling you to love that person. Why? Because you know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and it's a test. Are you going to pass it or fail it? Are you, when God teaches you something, be ready to start approaching the test. Whatever it might be that he's teaching you, and only you know what it is he's teaching you. You go through the word of God, and God says, and you go, wow, this is really good. Get ready for the test. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're reading, get ready for the test. Because he's going to say, yes, it is wonderful. Are you applying it to your life? Everything about Christianity is to apply what we learn to our daily life. And God is good at putting the situations together. We'll read that we're supposed to share the gospel, just as he said in the in the great commandment to go and tell all the world. <laughs> and then you'll put somebody in your path that needs to hear the gospel. And if you're like me, about two hours after you're done, have met them, you remember, oh man, I should have said. <laughs> I fail that one frequently. I pass it frequently too, but I fail it frequently. We all pass and fail these tests as they come our way. And as I've said, your test is going to be a test to you. Okay, you may look at somebody and go, I'd never be able to go through the test they went through, and I, you probably won't in you where you're at now, but 20 years from now, you probably could. You know, I don't want to take the test of somebody who's 20 years more advanced down the road. That would be like, and I've used this because I love math. You guys, you know, forgive me because not everybody likes math. You know, a kindergartner gets a one plus one equals two test. That's a test to a kindergartner who's just learning math. You give that test to a high school student, they're going to look at you like. Uh, what's the catch? This, is, this isn't a test. You, you give them algebra problems, and they'll probably think it's a test. You give an algebra problem to somebody who's taken calculus, and they're going, OK, what's, what's the big problem? This is, this is obvious. You give them the calculus that's new to them, it's a test. God's test is going to be designed for you at the level that you're at with him. If you're learning just to love people, he's going to give you somebody that other people look at. Well, that's an easy person to love. And you're going, no, I just don't like people. And God puts a pretty easy person for you by somebody else's standard, but hard for you. You think you know love? You think God's taught you love? Imagine the kind of people he can put in your path. And we all know they're out there. You know, you need to, God's teaching you about forgiveness. Oh, man, can God put us into some inter interesting places where we need to learn to forgive. Yeah. And then you have people, well, I just can't. That person just drives me up the wall. I just can't, I can't forgive them. I can't love them. I'm going, well, maybe you want to work on your test. Maybe you want to work on your test. Now, I'm going to try to be loving. I probably won't be that directly with you, but it really is. When we're being driven crazy by something or someone, we need to be praying for strength for God and say, God, I need help passing this test. And God does not move on like the public school system. You didn't pass this test. He keeps giving you the test until you pass it. Okay, he doesn't go, well, 60% of the class is done, we're moving on. You know, they'll, they'll just be lost for the rest of their lives because they, they didn't learn this. God doesn't work that way. He'll keep giving you the same test. Have you ever been in a place, don't raise your hands because I know you have. Have you been in a place where you just have got, seem to go through the same test over and over and over again? Different people, different situations. 
But when you look at it, it's the same thing over and over again. And God's saying, Would you, I'd like you to finish this test. <laughs> but we sometimes we get very frustrated with God. God, I don't want to do this anymore. And God's saying, pass the test. <laughs> pass the test. Many will become apostate at that time when they can't pass those tests. And they'll go, God, I never knew you. I never knew you. Saddest scripture that I think is in the entire scripture is when Jesus says, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't die. And what do they list? I cast out demons. I preached in your name. I prophesied. I fed the poor. All these things that the, the righteous religious people are supposed to do. And Jesus' answer to them was, depart from me. I never knew you. Their works are not going to get you into heaven. Not going to get any of us into heaven. We, we studied uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by, faith, uh, for by grace are you saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. God is not going to let our works get us into heaven. He's not going to let our works get us greater blessing. Because our works don't mean anything to him. Our works don't mean anything to God. His grace is what it's all about. He died for our sin so that he could forgive us because nothing else would do the trick. All through the Old Testament, there's 613 laws given, and the laws have one purpose, Paul tells us in Romans, and that's to show us that we're sinners. <laughs> and then Paul goes, and if you, can't, if you think somehow you can keep God's laws or don't know God's laws, you can't even keep your own rules. And what he means is we won't keep our own rules. And the family makes rules, and people won't keep their own rules. All right, children, I want you to always tell the truth. Phone rings. Uh, hey, kid, go answer the phone and tell them I'm not here. Now, I don't want to talk to anybody tonight. Just tell anybody that calls I'm not here. But we taught our kids they're supposed to tell the truth. And then we tell them to go lie. And God says, you're not even going to keep my, you know, even if you don't know my rules, I can prove you don't keep your own rules. And you know, every group has rules. Out of the prison, they have all kinds of rules. They may not be the rules we want them to follow sometimes, but they have their own rules, and they violate their rules all the time, too and get in trouble with their other inmates because they violate the inmate code of rules. And God's going to say, see, you don't even need my laws. You're not even good enough to keep your own rules. How many of you have ever said, I would never do such and such? And the next thing you know, you're doing just that. We can't keep our own rules. And God says, we're sinners. We are sinners. No matter how good or bad we think we are, I'm really going to talk to those who think they're good. You're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. We are going to sin. We are going to do things wrong. And God's saying, by grace, by grace, Jesus died for us because God loves us. Our job is a really simple one in one sense. We just show people God's love. We go around and we just splash God's love all around them. Yeah, I, I saw... I saw this picture one time. It was a cartoon, and everywhere this person was going, the Holy Spirit was just splashing all over people. Do you know that's a true statement? That's us. If we are filled with God so much, he splashes out over all, all kinds of people. Now, for Christians, it draws them to them and says, well, this is a Christian. I like this person. I can feel God. The world will have one or two reactions. They'll either be drawn to God coming out of us, but more often than not, they push away. Because God's presence brings conviction. 
And even as Christians, we don't like to be convicted of our sin, and the world really doesn't like to be convicted of their sin. But God says you need to be convicted so you'll change. That I'll change, we'll change. And his presence is what does that. We get into the word. We live him living in us. We get submitted to a teacher that says, this is how you're to live. And that teacher needs to be submitted to other teachers. Don't ever follow somebody who's a lone ranger. Don't be a lone ranger. Because if you do that, you're going to end up in the wrong wrong camp. Many of these people that start cults start out following God. They're or saying they're following God. They start teaching the word of God. They sound good. And because they're not submitted, they're not learning from God, they start drifting off. And because their people aren't good Bereans looking at the scripture, they just follow along on their drift. And before long, they're out, not even on the ball field anymore. They're not even in right field. They're, they're off the field and you know, miles and miles away from the right field. Be careful. Trust God. Come before him. Be strong in the word. Learn it. Be ready to give a reason for what you believe. And this is something that is so important. I've heard so many people, well, I just believe it by faith. And I'm going, praise God, you can. But God says, be ready to give an answer. Why do you believe? That is something that we need to go. Are you ever going to get all the questions answered? Absolutely not. I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of answers, but I don't have all the answers. And you know what? I have never met a person who had all the answers. I have, had, I have met some people who thought they had all the answers. But you know, they don't have all the answers. Why? Because we worship an infinite God. God knows more than anything we can ever know. And if, he, and if somehow we manage to learn everything about what he's created, he'd just create more stuff to teach us that we don't know what we think we know. But God is so much bigger, so much smarter than we are, so much more loving than we are, so much more forgiving than we are, that he's going to say, okay, you think you're there? Let me show you just a little bit more of me. Let me show you a little bit more about my love, and I want you to show this love to others. Oh, you got that high? Let me give you the next level of love and forgiveness. Oh, you finally got there? Oh, it took you, took you 10 years to get there? Let's give you another level. God's going to keep going. Why? Because he's infinite. How much of God do you have living in you? Have you ever thought about that? It says the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in Jesus, and he dwells in us, so we have the fullness of God. How can we have the fullness of God? Because he has an infinite amount of him. And again, I'll go back to math. If you divide infinity by anything, you still end up with infinity. So you can divide God up as much as you want, and he's still infinity. So the entirety of God can dwell in every single person that asks him to come in their heart because there is no end to him. There is no end to him. You can't be in the middle of God. You can't be at the beginning of God. You can't be at the end of God because he has no beginning, he has no end, and because he has no beginning or end, there's no middle. We have a God that's so big we can't comprehend him. So much information and, and knowledge for him to put in us that we can't comprehend it all. And you know what? For all of eternity, when, we spend it, when we're in heaven with him, we're going to be learning to get to know God. All of eternity. Get a good start on the world, <laughs> in this world. You know, I've heard some people go, well, I just don't know. Heaven sounds so boring to me. And I go, I, I just can't wait to be in his presence. I can't wait to spend eternity learning about him. You know, I love good Bible studies. You know, 
Uh, I know this may seem strange to you, but I love going to a Bible study that can go two or three hours and just keep going as long as the Word of God is being taught. To me, eternity sounds wonderful. Get to be in eternity and learn forever and learn things that are going to be so valuable and worship God and get to apply what he's teaching us. What a wonderful experience that will be if you're his child. If you're not his child, probably sounds like hell. Yeah, and I've heard people say, well, that sounds miserable. I'm going, that's because you're not his child then. If we really truly know him, it's going to be a wonderful event. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, teach us to follow you in a strong way. Help us grow. Help us to see you for who you are and, and follow you. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this message on, on the Internet or even in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, today is the day for them to come to you. You love them. You died for them. They just have to admit that they're a sinner, that they confess that they deserve punishment and say, Jesus, I thank you for dying on my, uh, for my sins. Come into my life and have them contact another Christian to, to help them go forward. Lord, we thank you for each person that's here. Help us as we go forward. Help us as we look to worship you in this day. In your son's name, amen.